I've managed to calm them down a bit, but you know, I'll leave them in your very capable hands. So let me quickly pray for Anita here, guys. Lord, thank you so much for Dave and Anita and um, for the word that you've given her to give to us today. We pray that you'll continue to open, open our ears and our hearts. Let us uh, receive from the gentleness of the Holy Spirit. Thank you for how Dave and Anita lead us and shepherd us along in this crazy family that we love called Vineyard Canada. In your name, amen. Um, before David and I took on this role, I was working in an organization um, that worked with women in recovery, uh, something I love to do um, because there's so much I learn from walking with people who have um, wrestled deeply with addiction. Frankly, because I think all of us are in recovery, um, different types of recovery, but we're all in recovery, right? Which is the nature of the journey um, as we begin to follow Jesus and the course of our lives um, takes us down this road where we learn to trust and learn to lean in and let go of the old ways and learn to walk in a new way, right? And that's the nature of, of what we're doing as followers of Jesus. But one of the things that um, I liked to do because it was something that God had taught me um, was to take a moment and we just called them pause moments. And there's something um, that I think happens when we as the followers of Jesus take a moment and just wait. And it's a, it's a great practice that many of the recovery organizations, those that are faith-based and those that aren't, they practice this. But I think it's so uh, wonderful that we as followers of Jesus get to do it. And a verse that always comes to mind whenever I personally practice this is that verse that says, Be still and know that I am God. And I think God meets us in those still moments. So because I feel that this is such a critical topic that we're talking about this morning, I think we desperately need to hear from Jesus. And so let's just take a moment, a pause moment, and we'll just be totally quiet and trust that the Holy Spirit will begin to speak to us because we need him. Without him, it's impossible to deal with fear.
thought it was very interesting that it was this topic that I was asked to speak on. Because I think if there's anything that I have wrestled with over the course of my life, I would say it would be fear and worry. And so I think it's kind of humorous in one way that the Lord would ask me to share or to um, talk about this topic because it has impacted me hugely over the years. And as I was thinking of it, I think this is a wonderful little book that you guys are working through. There's some really, really good um, points and um, truths that you're, that you're wrestling with. I think it's wonderful. It's a good, good exercise. Uh, but I felt like I was to share a little bit of my own journey and then weave it in through some of the wonderful points that were expressed through this chapter on learning to live without worry. I think the first thing that struck me as I looked at this was the whole way that it was described, learning to live without worry. I love the fact that it's learning <laughs> because if it said, you know, never have worry <laughs> or be perfect in this, I'd be hooped because I think I've been at this journey for the, the last, I'm 53 and I think... Um, probably all 53 years of my life, uh, I've wrestled to some degree with this area. So I just felt just to share a little bit of my journey so that you realize it really is a learning process. Um, I think the first time that I can remember that this became an issue in my life was when I was around five years old. And I was always a dreamer. That's just part of the way that the Lord speaks to me. And when I was five, I had this dream. And in my dream, I woke up in my dream. And I used to share a room with my three sisters, or two of my sisters, actually. And uh, I woke up, and I, I remember how the room looked in my dream. And I came out of my room and went down the stairs of the place that we lived and came into the kitchen and the light was shining in a certain way and there was this understanding that my parents had abandoned us that they weren't there they were gone and then in reality I woke up and the room was exactly how I saw it in my dream and I walked down the stairs the stairs were exactly I, I actually lived out my dream came into the kitchen and the kitchen was exactly the way it was in my dream and then I went into my parents bedroom and they weren't there and um, in my mind my child's mind uh, there was this lie that was sown in my heart um, that I'd been abandoned and it sowed fear, even though it was a lie. My parents were actually just at the neighbor's house having coffee. But in my mind, something was sown in that, more, in that moment. And I believe that it hijacked an already vulnerable family issue with fear. And so it grew over the years. And was this funny dynamic in that... I had this very fearful side, but I was also very lighthearted 
most people would never know that I had this dark wrestle. And it wasn't until I got married and had children that it just exploded because now we had the pressure of life pushing on this dark area in my spirit um, and there was no way to go except out. So it began to express itself uh, very clearly in many, many different areas. And it wasn't until the Lord put his finger on it and said, okay, I want you to deal with this, that I was able to get free. And the interesting dynamic that, that surrounds fear, even though you may recognize it as something that you need help, um, even seeking help is difficult because fear pre prevents you. So even though the Lord was putting his thumb on this area of my life, I found it very difficult to seek help. First of all, I was a pastor. We were leading a church. Um, you know, I, my, all my fears of, well, what will happen if I share that I've actually got these really kind of dark areas? For me, it was hooked with two areas, fear and rage, which sometimes are, are often linked together. They're, that's not strange that those two areas would be linked together. Um, so even my, my fear itself made it very difficult to get help. Finally, I was so desperate, I thought, well, I'll, I'll ask my husband to pray. <laughs> but I knew I had to say I have these areas as if he was surprised, having lived with me for probably five years. <laughs> And my biggest fear was, I know there's something wrong with me because I cannot control this part of who I am. This worry and this fear almost consumes me. Um, so my biggest fear was that if I get prayer, because never before had I believed that people could be influenced by, you know, Christians could be influenced by demonic things. I thought that was only if you weren't a follower of Jesus. So when we came into some understanding, now I realized, oh my goodness, I have to worry about something manifesting or something coming out of me. So then I was just petrified. I know there's something wrong here. Does that mean if he prays for me, I'm, something horrible is going to happen to me? And that kept me back for the longest time. So David literally just prayed very simply. He prayed over the past and anything that had attached itself to my family line. Because by then I thought there's probably something here that's connected beyond just my own little experience and my five-year-old, you know, fear, whatever. There's something more going on here. And um, he just prayed very simply through those things, each of the generations. And he hit one generation, and I felt something deep tug within and then let go. And I heard a phrase or some words, which I believe was the Holy Spirit, who said, it's done. And there was something at that moment, a root of fear that was released in my life and allowed me then, not that my fear is, never haunts me now, of course it does, it's my vulnerable place. And so I have to, because it's my vulnerable place, I have to protect um, that area in my life because it's an old uh, stomping ground of the enemy. And so it's something that I always have to be aware of. But in God's mercy and his grace, he has brought incredible freedom that's allowed me to walk out my life, which has defied all my natural instincts. I would be one who would surround myself with safety, who would be very low risk, very low risk. 
And I have lived a life that's involved great risk and huge shifts and great discomfort and upheaval, which I have to say is only because of God and his mercy and his grace and his love in my life. There is no other answer. Who I am apart from Jesus is a worrier and one full of fear. But in Jesus, I can walk a life of obedience that does embrace difficult times, hard roads, dramatic risks in God because of his work in my life. And so my heart is today, my fears are in all likelihood not yours, but I have great faith that God meets us where we're at and he can do an incredible work of transformation in very weak, very ordinary people. I think one of the lies of the enemy is that we have to present this image of strength and power where in Christ we can be real and our weaknesses can actually be a place where God works his strength. So there's hope for all of us, every single one of us in this room, whatever you battle with, wherever you're vulnerable, particularly in this area of fear and worry. So I've thought a lot about this over the years. And I think one of the things that has struck me again and again is this is a very old root or wrestle that we have. I believe all mankind wrestles with fear of some type or other. Our culture feeds on it. Around us, we're perpetually given these messages to make us afraid. If we don't do this, this will happen. If we don't embrace this, well, then the consequences of this. It's just uh, rampant, really, everywhere we look, throughout the media that we receive, um, the teaching that we receive, it's very, very fear-based. And so we live in this fear-based culture, but we have to find a way of walking not in fear. How do we do it? Well, I think that there are some ways. I think initially we have to identify this root. Like I said, it's a very old root. I think it traced right back to Adam and Eve. We see it first expressed in Genesis with Adam and Eve when they fall out of connection or relationship with God, their creator. What do they do? They hide. They're filled with shame, embarrassed, because now suddenly there's something about them that's not enough. So they're embarrassed about themselves, and they're fearful about this one that they have walked in communion and connection with. They have no basis to believe that he's suddenly a different God, a different companion, a different creator than he was before they fell into sin. But something about what has happened has broken 
that trust with their maker. And fear has become a part of their genetic code. I believe that's the human story. We've been marked by fear from the moment of the fall because we broke communion with the creator. That's why there's this huge need in us for connection and why we, we long to feel secure. We're ever reaching to, to repair the breach. In fact, the breach has been repaired, and that's the wonderful message of the gospel where we don't have to work or strive to make good this connection with God. He's done it for us, and that's the beautiful message of what Jesus has done. But nevertheless, there's a wrestle with this old root that marks us, and maybe will mark us to some degree, until we see Jesus face to face. Because it's so multifaceted. It so became a part of our thinking. And it's only in Jesus that we displace the old and embrace the new creation that we've become as a result of his work on the cross. It's the Achilles heel, I believe, of mankind, which is why it's so fed on by the enemy. That's why he loves to use this. It's a really good tool. Fear is a very good tool in the enemy's hands because it drives us from relationship. We isolate, we protect as a result of this work of this fear. It looks different in each of us. In some of us, it looks like insecurity. I've never really thought of this until probably the last few years. And I thought there's so many faces to fear. Because it's looked so very particular in my life, I, I think I recognize fear. And when I connect with people who wrestle with it the same way that I do, I think, oh, okay, that's fear. But I think what I'm seeing is fear actually has many faces. And sometimes the very fact that it does it gets overlooked or, or denied in an individual's life because they think, oh, well, it, fear looks like this. That crazy person over there, which would probably be one like me. <laughs> that one over there, that's fear. But I don't wrestle with fear. But fear has many faces, and it's insidious. Fear can look like insecurity. Am I enough? Do I do enough? Can I measure up? I can never measure up. It keeps me from being generous. It keeps me from making room for others. It keeps me from cheering on those that I might feel threatened by. There's always this sense, I'm going to be left behind. Everybody else is moving forward. I'm going to be left behind. That's fear. It's fear. It's worry. It's worry that you're not going to be enough. It's worry that somehow you're not going to cut it. In some others, it expresses itself in control. You have to manage everything right down to the detail so that there's no room for anything unexpected to happen because I don't do well with unexpected things. So I have to manage you. I have to manage the circumstance. What is that? It's fear. 
makes us really low on taking risks. What if the Lord is asking us to do something that's uncomfortable? If we have to manage all the details and have to know beforehand everything that's happening so that nothing unexpected happens, then what will it take for us to step out and follow Jesus in an area that he may be inviting us to? It's really hard because we don't want to let go. It's fear. It's fear that prevents us from being able to move with what God is doing in our life. For others, it's expressed in recklessness. It ends up, we end up taking chances that create havoc for those around us. Now, how do you think, how can this be fear? It almost seems like the flip of the last, but it is. It's because you're in charge. You're not going to allow anything that doesn't happen if you don't make it happen. So you're going to outthink, outdo whatever's going on because you're in charge. So you manage everything. <clears throat> you ignore counsel or communal wisdom. But at the root of it, you're afraid again that you might miss something. Have you ever been around people who feel like you have to go, 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 go? You can't stop and take this moment to pause and rest and listen. <clears throat> What's at the root of that driven, driven, driven behavior? It's fear. It's fear that you might miss. You might not get to experience. Somebody else might have something that you don't get. It's fear. For some, it's expressed in worry. And this is the particular expression that we're talking about today as well as I think there's just the general <clears throat> overarching uh, issue of fear. And then there's also this worry piece. We're going to just read the passage in Matthew that's uh, in our book. Matthew, I think it's 625 to 34. Is it Matthew? What is it? Matthew 625 to 34. Therefore, I tell you, do not worry about your life, what you will eat or drink or about your body. <clears throat> what you will wear is not your life more important than food and the body more important than clothes. Look at the birds of the air. They don't sow or reap or store, store away in barns, and yet your heavenly Father feeds them. Are you not more val valuable than they who of you, by worrying, can add one single hour to his life? I love that verse because I've spent a lot of hours worrying and it made not one rip a difference, except that it was a stress bucket and impacted everybody around me. But it didn't change my life one iota, except for the negative. Why do you worry about your clothes? Look at the lilies of the field and how they grow. They don't labor or spin. 
Yet I tell you that not even Solomon in all his splendor was dressed like one of these. If that is how God clothes the grass of the field, which is here today and gone tomorrow, is thrown into the fire, will he not much more clothe you, O you of little faith? So do not worry, saying, what, what will we eat? What shall we drink? What will we wear? For the pagans run after these things, and your heavenly Father knows that you need them. Seek first the kingdom and his righteousness, and all these things will be given to you. So basically, I think what's being addressed is this sense of (coughs) God. It's a trust factor, actually. Connected with fear is the absence of trust. So basically, it's a trust issue. Not so much a trust of people, because that comes and goes, and sometimes there's people that aren't trustworthy, so we shouldn't trust them, right? It's literally at its deepest root, it's a trust issue this way. And I believe this is a part of that root that the enemy sowed in the very beginning with Adam and Eve. You cannot trust God. He does not have your best interest at heart. He's trying to rip you off. There's something here he's not telling you. And so you have to make this decision to turn away from him to really embrace life. The reality was, as they did that, they lost everything. It's a trust issue that's rooted way back in the human psyche, I believe, in the fall. Because the truth is, God is trustworthy. And from the Old Testament, now God totally understands us in this way. He knows the effect of sin. He knows the effect of the fall. He's not surprised how it's impacted us and the residue that it has in our thinking. And you'll see right through the Old Testament, all through the New Testament, what does he say to his people? When I was 12 years old, I was given this verse in Pioneer Girls Club. And I have never forgotten it. I've held on to it because it speaks of God's awareness of the vulnerability of his people to fear. And he said in Isaiah 41.10, don't be afraid for I am with you. Don't be dismayed. I am your God. I will help you. I will strengthen you. I will uphold you with my righteous right hand. God is not unaware. And he's so kind and gracious and loving to us that he speaks this word over and over and over to us in those circumstances when he knows it's natural because of the impact of what has happened to us. He knows it's natural for us to default to fear. And so he addresses it and he says, don't be afraid because I'm here. I'm here. That's the antidote to fear, is that he is with us. We're not alone. We haven't been abandoned. The lie of the enemy is that you are on your own, buddy. If you do something wrong, or if you do this, or you don't do this right, you are on your own. The fact is that's not true. That's a lie. Jesus is there in the midst of it. He's there in the midst of your brokenness. He's in the midst of the times when you screw up the worst 
He doesn't leave you or forsake you. He's there. He's in the midst of it. You can't see it. Our sin blinds us, but he's there. He's never left us. He's never left us. He's there. Don't be afraid. I'm with you. I'm with you. I'm with you. I'm with you. That's the message of the cross. I'm with you. I came. I'm here. And in the New Testament, I think it's so genius of God that when Christ comes and dies for us, and rises again. He fills us with his spirit, residing inside of us. How much closer can we get to God? That's the genius of God. He resides in us. He's right there. We can't escape him. We can't pretend he's not there. He's in us and with us. I believe it's this in us and with us presence that helped some of the early believers and continues to help those believers who are suffering today, who, who follow Christ at great cost. I believe, us, believe it. It's the in us and the with us presence of Christ that has helped them endure some of the suffering and the pain and the difficulties that they have. He's with them. He's in them when nothing makes sense. When you don't have the answers, some of us, part of our fear is we have to have the answers. So we make up answers. We have formulas for everything. And then when they don't work, we're totally, we throw it, we check out our faith. Oh, my goodness. I thought if I did this, if I prayed this way, if this, then this person would be healed, and this would work out this way. And when it didn't happen, then God, you failed me. No, God didn't fail you. We have to, it's out of fear that we have to have it all concrete and certain. Because then we're in control. We're back into those control things, right? We control the circumstances. We control the dynamics. We control this. And then nothing unexpected, nothing that I'm not ready for is going to happen to me. The truth is we do not have that control. Our lives are in the hands of God. And difficulties are part of life this side of heaven. Sorrow and suffering is a part of our experience this side of heaven. We have a friend who just lost his wife. It's painful. So painful. He's young with two young kids. There aren't any easy answers for that type of suffering. It doesn't make sense. I don't understand it. I feel ripped off. He feels ripped off. And those kids are going to feel ripped off. But the truth is, and what he is amazingly discovering, is that Jesus is with him in the midst of his suffering. He has not been abandoned. He's not alone. He's got many fears that he has to keep surrendering and may have to surrender again and again and again. He's got many worries. What does it mean? How am I going to do this? I'm on my own. I work full time. I've got two kids. They're just little. Am I going to be enough? How am I going to do this? But Jesus promises that he's with us. He's saying, don't. Be afraid. He spoke 
to his early followers many, many times. From the very beginning, actually, when the angels came to Mary, what did they say? Don't be afraid. Fear not. Don't be afraid. Why? Because they knew. Oh, my goodness. Mary must have been having a fit. What the heck is happening? That's normal response to not knowing what's going on is fear when we don't understand. What did he say to Peter? Peter wanted to step out and follow him, terrified out of his wits. What the heck is this? Walking on water? Oh, my goodness. Everything in his head is like, this is ludicrous. You're crazy to think. And Jesus says, don't be afraid. I'm with you. I'm right here. I'm here. It's his presence that is the antidote to our fear. He's with us. There's strength. There's comfort. There's supernatural ability to navigate difficult times, fearful times in Jesus. You won't find it. Sometimes it's not going to be in your community, although the community is a massive piece of support. We have a huge responsibility as friends and family of believers to come alongside one another. But it won't be enough. If you're looking this way to alleviate your fears, it won't be enough. Because they're really, people are going to let you down. They won't be enough. They can't be. They can't satisfy that deep need for connection, that deep need to know that we're going to be okay. Well, the only way we're going to be okay is this way. Circumstances, we may not be okay. But this way, we can be okay. And it takes Jesus to fill that place of need in our lives. He's the antidote to fear. He's the antidote to worry. It's interesting the way that in Matthew 5 or 6, um, it's uh, normal things that God uses to, uh, in this, this picture. He's like, don't be worried about your eating and your clothing. Those are pretty essential, Right? Like, don't be worried about the, the little, the, the everyday, real, tangible needs in your life. Now, what he's not saying is don't bother working. Don't bother doing anything. Uh, just hopefully somebody around you will take care of you. I don't think that's the message. Right? The message is... I am involved, I'm present, I'm with you, I'm in you, I'm connected. Jesus is connected. He's not a distant God. And Jesus perfectly reflects the Father. The Father is connected. He's present. If you've lived with a workaholic father, there were moments where probably you grew up thinking, where the heck is my dad? Right? Where are you? Because that place of connection, the absence of presence, is an important component for security and stability in those growing up years. But your heavenly father reflected in the life of Jesus and everything about his son says, I'm connected. I'm present. 
I am not an absentee father. Whatever you're going through, you are not alone. I'm with you. The lie of the enemy says, he's, look, he's looked the other way. What happened to God? Look what this horrible thing that happened to you. He abandoned you. That's the lie. It's an old lie. It's a lie that he's not a good enough father. He's missing in some area in his parenting. God's the perfect father. He's the perfect parent. He's on deck. He's involved and interested. Always. He never looks away. Like we said, fear is connected with trust. So I believe that Jesus is calling us back to that place of trust. Trust in him. Not trust in circumstance. Not trust in life. Not trust that everything's going to work out in our society, in our culture. Not trust that we'll get everything, we'll understand everything. Not trust that we won't have unexpected things happen to us. Not trust that... that uh, will connect with the right people, the, uh, live in the right place. But trust that he's enough for this journey that he's called us on. He's enough. He's there in our great times. He's there in our troubled times. He will never leave us or forsake us. Don't worry, he says. I'm with you until the end of the age. That's the promise, the promise that he's given us. I just feel like we want to take another moment of quiet and ask the Lord, where do I fear? What does fear look like in my life? And Lord, would you touch it this morning? That area that I wrestle with that's individual to all of us. And Lord, would you touch it? There's this wonderful um, passage that Paul um, prays for the Ephesians. And in it, in this prayer, and I'm just going to read it because I believe love, there is the verse, love casts out all fear. And I think it's the understanding that Christ's presence and love in us, as that grows, it literally delivers us from fear. It creeps into those dark places of worry and distrust and reaches us there. It's the antidote. God's love and understanding of his deep, ever-consuming love in our lives deals with the fear. And that's Paul's prayer in Ephesians. Ephesians 3, 14 to 21. I love Paul's writings, actually. Matthew, Mark, Luke, John, Acts, Romans. Ephesians 4, no, 3, 14 to 21. 
For this reason, I kneel before the Father, from whom his whole family in heaven and earth derives his name. I pray that out of his glorious riches, he may strengthen you with power through his spirit in your inner being. So that Christ may dwell in your hearts through faith. And I pray that you would be rooted and established in love, may have power together with all the saints to grasp how wide and long and high and deep is the love of Christ. And to know this love that surpasses knowledge, that you may be filled to the measure of the fullness of God. Now to him who is able to do immeasurably more than we ask or imagine according to his power that is at work within us, to him be the glory in the church and in Christ Jesus throughout all generations and forever and ever. Amen. It's my prayer this morning that as the Lord identifies that area of fear and worry in your life, the root of it or where it's expressed itself in your everyday living, Um, that God would meet you there and that he would give you a deeper and wider understanding of his incredible love for you. That in his love, he's with you. He never has abandoned you in your hardest moments, in your darkest times. He never let go of you. He will never let go of you, and the promise is he'll be with you until the end of the age. So, Lord, we just ask that you would come and speak to us. Show us those areas of broken trust where we find it difficult to lean into you for whatever reason, Father. Expose those vulnerabilities, Lord. And we ask for your healing. And we know this is a journey, God. We won't let go. We want to see and understand your incredible love and the impact that it has in our lives. How it transforms fearful, worrying people and allows them to walk out Extraordinary journeys with you. You just ask us to be real, to be truthful, to be honest before you of our need and desperation. That you would come and fill us with your power. Change the way we think. Teach us how to walk as as those that are in the light. You said that we were people in darkness. Now we're in the light. Teach us, God. We just say, come, Holy Spirit. Let your kingdom come and your will be done. And we ask this because we're learning to trust you.
in Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you, Lord, for meeting us where we are, where we are vulnerable, and where we so desperately need you. Our practice here, as many of you know, is that if, uh, if what Anita has said really resonates with you, that you find someone that you trust uh, to pray through that with you. Um, I'm always amazed that God chose us to be his servants and that each one of us are uniquely qualified to minister to each other. I like that, that flat structure that it's not just the pastor or the person who gave the word that God's working through, but it's us because we are a family and families help each other. Um, so I encourage you to turn to someone that you know that you trust. If you need prayer to pray through that. If you don't know who that is, feel free to come up front. Someone will find you and pray with you. And uh, I also encourage you that when we end the service, that doesn't mean that God stops working and that the Holy Spirit is not a level of silence. It's like, oh, we can't make any noise because God's working. I grew up in a church that was very much like that. Oh, God's gone now. <laughs> oh, someone told the joke. <laughs> God left. <laughs> God's always with us. So if you need to hang out, meet with God, find someone to do that with, or um, come up front, or go continue to enjoy the sun. Erica, okay. I want to say, Anita, that um, as you were talking, as you were sharing the word, um, I had to quickly write this down, so I'll scribble down here, but I've been having um, similar dreams. I don't dream very much, but um, when, they, when they come, they come in like phases. I don't know how else to describe it, but... I was in a house that I don't even know. Um, and I, I used to, when I walked in the door, I'd go downstairs and it was so dark down there and I'd find the room way in the corner and that's where I slept. I used to wonder what, what that meant. And as you were talking, God was showing me in my mind that this is what was happening. He's lied to you. He's lied to me about ourselves, others, and our situation. 
talking about the devil. And God told me that he's mentioned in his word that he's the father of all lies. And he doesn't tell the whole truth all at once. He does it over a span of a lifetime to the point that he has reinforced it into our very being by reminding us that we are failures and worthless at every chance he gets. By the time I became an adult, I couldn't shake the negativity. And now the lie has anchored into my being and become a core belief I cannot shake. But God's word awoke within me. By the Holy Spirit, I was reminded of a verse proclaiming freedom from fear, abandonment, and failure. And that's in Genesis 50, 20. You intended to harm me, but God intended it for the good of what is now being done, the saving of many lives. And it, this all came as you were as you were sharing the word. And it's something that I really need to work on because I've been looking for happiness, joy for so long. And I feel it when I'm around happy people or joyous people, but when I get home, it's it's like, you know, I'm not living in a dungeon or anything, but in a spiritual dungeon. And I'm always trying to find my way out. And your word, I needed to hear that today. Thank you. All right. So we'll let you guys pray for each other. Is Dave going to do another song? We could put him on the spot publicly. Dave, can you do another song? Let's finish up that way. Let's have Dave do another song and go in peace and continue to be the hands and feet of Jesus to each other. Thank you, friends.